This is Bishop Michael Curry, and you're listening to The Way of Love. Today's guest on The Way of Love podcast is Dr. Beth Sarah Wright, writer, speaker, and passionate advocate for authenticity in our lives and communities. She is Director of Enrollment Management at Holy Innocence Episcopal School in Atlanta, an adjunct professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Emory University School of Medicine. Dr. Wright holds a doctorate from New York University, a master's from Cambridge University, and a bachelor's from Princeton University. Originally from Jamaica, she is married to the Right Reverend Robert C. Wright, Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta, and they are parents of five children. Dr. Wright is also the author of five books, including Dignity, Seven Strategies for Creating Authentic Community, which we'll delve into today. On our way of love journey, we're invited to turn, pausing and listening to the Holy Spirit calling us to come back to ourselves, back to our purpose, and back to something more meaningful. In this spirit, Dr. Wright challenges us to recall our baptismal covenant which asks, will you strive to respect the dignity of every human being? She lays out seven actionable tenets, diversity, identity, growth, nurture, integrity, transparency, and yield. To help us find our purpose, articulate our aspirations, and equip ourselves and others to practice dignity. Now, before we begin, I'd like to note that some of our listeners may find aspects of today's episode triggering since we will discuss mental illness and suicidal thoughts. It is a real joy and privilege on this edition of The Way of Love to have Dr. Beth Sarah Wright, uh, who is uh, an author, an Episcopalian, um, a psychologist, uh, holds a PhD in performance studies from New York University, uh, MPhil in anthropology from Cambridge University, England, BA magna cum laude from Princeton University in sociology and Afro-American studies. Dr. Wright, originally from Jamaica, um, has lived and studied worldwide from Edinburgh, Scotland to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and is married to the right Reverend Robert Wright, Bishop of Atlanta. And they have, how many children do y'all have? <laughs> Five. <laughs> Five children. <laughs> Dr. Wright is experienced in all things. <laughs> all things. If you got five children, you know just about everything needed for, for life and salvation. <laughs> Dr. Wright, welcome to the way of love. <laughs> Thank you so much. So glad to be here. Be here with you. So good to see you and to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Well, sure. Glad I've been wanting to have you on this for a couple of years and just glad that we're able to do this and that you're able to be in some conversation with us. Thank you. You've got a number of books. Um, and I and I, I do want to mention them before we um before we conclude, but the one we wanted to talk with you about um is entitled Dignity: Seven Strategies for Creating Authentic Community. And I'm wondering what's that book about? The name is suggestive. Um, it may resonate with people who are familiar with the baptismal covenant, um, but what's that book about, Dignity? 
Well, it is just about that. It is about mm. restoring that word in our conversations and in our world right now, this concept uh -huh. of dignity. So I'll uh -huh. tell you just where it came from. I am yeah. currently serve as the director of enrollment management at an Episcopal school, the largest uh -huh. parish Episcopal school in the country, Holy Innocence uh -huh. Episcopal School. And uh -huh. in this position, I work on the senior admin team. And uh -huh. we are constantly faced with all sorts of challenges and um, and ways, of course, as all schools and institutions and communities are, uh, we're always um, looking towards our mission statement. And I just happen to love mission statements. They're like dreams, uh -huh. you know, they're like dreams. Yeah. And yeah. oftentimes in our communities and in our, in our institutions, our mission, our aspiration, our dream identity, there's a gap between that and our current reality. And I am particularly interested in how we close that gap. So I um, saw that, you know, of course, coming out of the pandemic and all of the sorts of conversations that were happening during the pandemic, there were a lot of questions about revisiting institutions were revisiting their mission statements, revisiting their identities, yeah, wanting true. to look yeah. again at who they are and what they're mm -hmm. doing and how it aligns with the climate and all of that, just how it aligns. Are they really living into what they're living, what they say they're mm -hmm. living into? Mm -hmm. And um, and we were faced with that, of course, at our school for that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I thought, wow, we need to be able to look again, look again at these issues that we're faced with. And, mm. you know, being married to a bishop, you go on these visitations and you end up reciting the baptismal covenant over and over again each Sunday. Uh -huh. That's what you do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really struck by that question, the final question. What will you strive? Will you strive for peace and justice and respect the dignity of every human being? Yeah. It seemed as if that concept of human dignity, we needed to just bring it back into our conversations. Yes. And, uh, yeah. and I was really struck. I was like, what does it really mean to respect the dignity of every human being? Mm. So, of course, I looked at that word, respect. What is it asking us to do? Huh. And respect actually means re, again, and spect from the Latin word specere, meaning to look at. It means to look uh. again at the dignity of every human being, to look again. And I thought, well, what? What exactly can we do with that? How can we create some new conversations? How can we look again at the challenges that we face and put human dignity at the center? Because our institutions and our communities, they're made up of people. Yeah. And what we yeah. want is to be able to restore that whole conversation again. So I thought, well, we need to be able to create to bring back dignity, but to create something practical to how to narrow that gap between who we say we are, our aspirations, mm -hmm. and who we are in reality. How can we make our communities more in line when our behinds and our minds are in line? When we uh -huh. say what we want to do and what we're doing are in line and thereby uh -huh. being more authentic. That's what uh -huh. I was hoping for. That's what I was looking for. And I'm saying, well, that's, I need to be able to create this. 
how can we find something practical and useful, meaningful, purposeful that will help us to do that in all of our institutions, in our communities, in our school communities, our worship communities, our faith communities, or any mm. community? How can we do that? And mm. the Dignity Lens was born. And ah, okay. That's where it is. That's where it comes from. That's where it is. Yes. How to get your behind and your mind aligned. In line. That's right. <laughs> I got it. So tell, can you, without, I know it's a spoiler alert, but you're, people are going to still need to read the, the book. What is the Dignity Lens? So it's made up of these seven strategies that are born and entrenched in that word. So each uh -huh. letter in the word dignity is a strategy. Uh -huh. If and it would and I'll just tell you what they seven are. If we are going to respect the dignity of every human being, then the D has to be diversity. Which, mm -hmm. if we stop for a moment and just look at the word, it just means differences. And every human uh -huh. being is different. Every single human being is different. Every one of us. Yep. So diversity is D. I identity. And in fact, in my book, I quote you, Bishop Curry, in saying that we have to be able to, in moments of transition and change, we have to reaffirm our core identity. Uh -huh. No matter who we are, what our communities are, we right. have to affirm our identity. That's our anchor. Uh -huh. G is growth. Yes. We have to be able to grow in our competencies and in our capacities to have new conversations. Uh -huh. You know, if we're putting our mind and our behind in line, we're going to have to adapt yeah. in some ways. And that means we're going to lose some things and we're going to grow in some ways. So yeah. growth is necessary. N is nurture. When we mm. implement all sorts of new things, we, we create new initiatives. We, and we say that we want to make sure that we're being more authentic. We have to make sure that we put things in place uh -huh. to nurture those ideas and those initiatives. I, integrity, uh, integrity. Are yeah. we doing what we say we're doing? Always asking that and holding ourselves accountable to all the work that we're going to be doing. Mm. P, transparency. We have to be transparent about all the work that we're doing and um, be able to tell our stories in ways that are helpful and meaningful and purposeful. And then why? Why is yield I am a sociologist, a trained uh, sociologist, and a trained anthropologist. We can't do this work and be strategic without data. We yeah. need to have data to bolster, uh -huh. to, to help to, to create new ideas, to, to, to um, measure ourselves, to hold ourselves accountable. I don't want people to think that this is just some sort of highfalutin idea that we can, yeah. yes, we're going to imagine ourselves in this way. We mm -hmm. have to ground this work, ground mm -hmm. it in data. Mm -hmm. So those are the seven, D-I-G and I-T-Y. I, I wish Aretha Franklin was still alive because she could go from R-E-S-P-E-C <laughs> and go to dignity. <laughs> That's right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, my God. How do you think now? I mean, you 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 work at a school so that you're, you work with adults, uh, you know, faculty, administration, trustees and those folk kind of folk and you're around children you know young children and i'm just wondering how 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 might an adult for example 
um, and you're around clergy, you know clergy, you know church folk, how might an adult put the dignity lens into practice? Can you give me an example of how I might do that? How might an adult do that? And I, can adult, tell you, yeah. and I can also tell you how a child might do that too. Okay, I was coming to that next. <laughs> <laughs> so the dignity lens is, is taking up sort of, it's taking up leadership activity. Uh-huh. It, it means that you don't have to be in formal authority to take up this work, this uh-huh. important dignity work. This is uh-huh. hard work, let me just say. To yeah. respect the dignity of every human being truly is difficult work. Yeah. It's not asking us to love everyone. It's not mm-hmm. asking us even to respect everyone, you know, just to, to, to tolerate anyone, to agree with everyone. Right. We're asking to look again at their dignity, right? Huh. Yeah. And, and so that's difficult. It's difficult, but it's such important work. So let's say that you as an individual, you can do this sort of take this dignity lens and put it on you yourself, Mm -hmm. your own journey, your life journey, Mm -hmm. or to put it in the context of where you're working and the community in which you're working. Mm -hmm. Let's just take your own life journey. Let's try that. Uh Suppose that you have um, an identity, a dream identity for yourself. You would like to be able to be a a better leader. You want to be Uh a um, more effective rector or a more Uh effective lay person in a worship community, for example, or a more effective faculty member. Maybe one of the most um, uh, difficult challenges you might have is creating um, an atmosphere in your classroom where we can have really tough conversations. Maybe that's something that you yourself not so familiar with, not so comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I'm not so comfortable with doing that. And I would like to be able to put that dignity lens on this particular challenge that I'm working with. And I'm going to be able to look at, say, look through the lens of diversity, and I'm going to be able to say, you know, there are lots of different people that I can gain some insight from, I can learn from, I can also be able to look in my classroom and see the many different stories that are in my classroom. I can um, create an environment where all of my students feel comfortable in telling their stories and bringing their authentic selves there. And, you know, and that means that I'm going to have to be able to do that myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to be able to look at my identity mm-hmm. and to be able to see who I am and what I feel comfortable with, what my vulnerabilities are, what my strengths are. I'm going to be reflective. Mm-hmm. I'm going to also begin to learn to grow in new ways. Mm-hmm. I have to grow with my discomfort in having these kind of tough conversations in my classroom. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. And then I will need to make sure that I nurture in my classroom and myself you know, how to take care of myself, how to have conversations with kind candor, how to be able to set up an environment where I feel comfortable and my students can feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to always have to check myself. Whenever I come across a moment, I'm going to have to ask myself, um, in terms of integrity, am I doing what I say I'm doing? In this moment when I'm having this con- t- faced with a tough conversation, do you think I can actually do that? and do it in the way that I've set out to do it, the way that I feel that I can do this, that was helpful to both my students and myself. And am I going to be able to be um, transparent in all of this? Uh I'm going to be able to say to my students, this is the expectation. It's the expectation I have for myself and it's the expectation I have for you. And then am I going to be able to measure it, wield? Am I going to be able to measure it? No, it doesn't mean that I have to conduct surveys or anything. But I might be able to get some feedback from my students 
and I might be able to look back and, you know, create for myself some sort of self-reflecting exercises to make sure that I'm doing what I'm saying I'm doing. So that was a very quick way of just being oh, able to okay. use that. Does that make sense to you? It, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I was talking to somebody recently about leadership who's taking a class in leadership. And some of what you were, you're just describing were key elements of leadership, but yes. actually it's key elements of humanship, being a human being, a mature, yes. authentic human yes. being. I, yes. I, I, the title, the full title of your book is D Dignity, Seven Strategies for Creating Authentic Community. So that you yes. move from both the individual to the communal. And yes. I'm wondering how this fits into the community because church folk are churches are communities of yes. to one degree or another, um, and they actually are. How do you, how does this lens fit into a communal, institutional, organizational context? Yes. Well, let's just remember for a moment where that baptism, what that baptismal covenant is, right? Uh -huh. It is like a roadmap for us as Christians, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is like a roadmap, mm -hmm. and it's it's saying the things that we can, that we are partnering with God to do. Let's just say that. Oh, that's yeah. a roadmap. Yeah. In our institutions, in our churches, our schools, our organizations, you know, in the secular world. We also have roadmaps for our values, for who we say uh -huh. we are. They are often implemented or articulated in mission statements, value statements. In our, and many of us have a, our church communities have a mission statement. And if, it, if they don't have one that's specific to that particular parish, they, they're going to use the baptismal covenant in many ways. Right. You're going to be taking right. pieces and bits and pieces of that. This is what we want for our community. Mm -hmm. Authenticity comes in when we align all of our actions, all of our initiatives, what we are, um, uh, what we are taking up, the new actions, the new um, strategies that we are doing. When all of those align with that mission statement, I see. that's authenticity. I see. When our minds and our behinds are in line. Yes. So if okay. we say, oh, we are a community that is welcoming to all, are we? Yeah. And if we are, are, are we, are we yeah. sure we are doing that? And how are we doing that? Or how could we yeah. better do that? How could we make more progress on that? If we are a Great. community that says we value our young people being healthy and their well-being and their mental health is important to us, What's in our community uh -huh. that says that that is important to us? Right. What are the ways right. that we've nurtured that? Right. So it, it helps us to stay on the path that we say we want to adopt and that we embrace. So as a community, we could take this, for example, I'm just using it as an example, take this and um, take our mission statement and then say, now, how are we living into this? How are we falling short? And what are the dreams we can have and practical steps we can do to actually uh, align our mind and our behind in particular? Absolutely. That, that's very practical. That yes. really is. That's doable. Any community yes. can do that. Any community can do that and any member of the community. We don't have to wait for yes. formal authority to take up this work. 
Mm. This is about mobilizing everyone. This work belongs to us. And that's why mm. I love this dignity approach. It's not meant for the people in formal authority only. Right. We right. have. It's not meant for experts. It's meant for right. us. The solutions come from all of us. And we have to right. partner with, as individuals, we have the institutional power to make change in our community. Uh -huh. We do. Uh -huh. And we don't have to wait. We don't have to relegate or delegate that information, that, that work. It, it comes from us and it can start with us. Have you ever had a season when you worried you lacked the authority or permission to make changes in your life? Where'd you find your support and courage during those times? My guess is this is going to air around or before the time of, of New Year's. You know, we all make New Year's resolutions to one degree or another. I mean, it occurred to me that you've given us a lens, a template, if a, a very simple, practical um, guide for uh, actually thinking, okay, what's the year been like? I've done some things that are wonderful and I like them. I got some, some things that I want to grow in. Um, you know, and uh, and identify one or two for the new year. Does that make some sense? Or how, what advice would you give me for my new year's resolution aside from um, Weight Watchers and, you know, that? <laughs> well, actually, you know, Weight Watchers is great and is actually really one is. of those kind of those those sorts of uh aspirations. There are aspirations uh -huh. that we might have. This is a great time to identify what's my dream for myself this year yeah. and yeah. how am I going to get there? Yeah. No, it's not just a pie in the sky. Like, this is what I want. I want to be able to write the great American novel or I want to right. <laughs> make a film and just leave it there because there is so much more to make yeah. to narrow the gap between the aspiration and the current reality. And what I love about this dignity lens, because we have to keep our dignity intact in all of yes. this, is that, um, you know, we can take the time to look back, to be reflective, because this kind of work is reflective work as well. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what I love about it is that there's always progress being made. There's no failure in the dignity lens. There are yeah. opportunities for learning always. We might experiment with something. And because it's, there's a lot of imagination and experimentation that's involved in the dignity lens. We might mm. try something. It might not work as well as we want, but we made some progress. It's not failure, but what can we learn from it? And then try again. Try again. I was uh, really struck by Angela Davis. I heard her speak uh -huh. and she talked a lot about imagination, power to the imagination. Yeah. There is a lot of power in imagination and uh -huh. it has to start there. That's where the aspiration begins, imagination. Mm. Uh, but I've taken that word now and I've shifted it a little bit to be more about imagineering. I uh -huh. want us to be imaginative, oh. but yeah. we need to have some strategy behind it 
to be uh, able to really create something. And of course, right. all of that work that Angela Davis and her many people have done throughout eons here in this country and around the world, there's uh -huh. always strategy involved. So this is a very yeah. practical lens for us to develop that strategy, to imagine and to dream big, but to get some strategy involved in there. So I could dream um, that I want to lose weight this year or <laughs> yes. next year. And, but I need a strategy, which means I got to go to Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or whatever it is. And but I'm going to join Weight Watchers. I'm going to join something else. Or I'm, I got to need a yes. specific strategy and follow their plan. Join and follow their plan, or get on my well, bicycle. Maybe it, it it may be that, and it may be that you have to lose some things. You have to give up some things, and that's where well, growth comes in. Well, I might have to, you know, I might have to change my whole my whole world. You know, I have to to say no to the bag of cookies, but only yes to one cookie. Or oh. I, you know, I might have to. Oh, change you hurt me! You hurt me! You wounded me deeply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doc, yeah. you're hurting me. But you're right. It's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, how does you know it? It occurs to me that this does. Um, the dignity lens and this way of thinking, because that's what you're, you're describing, a new way of thinking into being, um, which is, and doing it all at the same time. I mean, not discreet. You're doing it all. How might I use this in my personal or in, rather in interpersonal relationships, not just formal institutional or work-related, but, you know, in interpersonal relationships? A wonderful question, a wonderful question. So again, I go back to that question. Will you strive yeah. to respect the dignity of every human being? Uh -huh. What that implies to me is, will you take the time to look and to look again at another human being and to see mm -hmm. their dignity and to see their full potential? So what that means okay. is that we all, as human beings, one of the more natural things that we do is we all have biases, every single one of sure. us. Sure. We have all sorts of biases. And we can be present to those biases when we meet someone, we can be present to them. But then that cannot, we cannot allow that to dictate all of our interaction. Yeah. Can we stop, pause, and look again? You know, my son taught me this the most. <clears throat> uh -huh. He was eight years old, Moses, our youngest. Uh -huh. He was eight years old when he and I used to spend a lot of time in carpool. With five kids, you can have right. lots of time in the carpool. Yeah. <laughs> so he and I would have M&M time, mommy and Moses time. Uh, and uh, uh, I remember one day he said to me, mommy, mommy, look, he was eating strawberries and he showed me the leaves on the strawberries. And he said, they look just like hearts. He said, they look like hearts. He huh. said, I can see the love in everything. Oh my and God. that started this great, wonderful journey between us and now the family looking for hearts and everything for in, in, in you know, stains on the street or as we went uh -huh. walking or stones, we will see hearts. Um, we found hearts and chicken nuggets and uh -huh. all sorts of things. But he could see in his very innocent eight-year-old eyes, he could see yeah. something completely transformed in his hand into something real and powerful and expansive. Mm. He could see that. Yeah. And I would like to invite us all to be able to do that. 
to respect the dignity, to look again at the dignity in another human being, to listen more. God was instructive when, create, when, when God created two ears and one mouth. And one mouth, that's right. <laughs> so that's right. to listen more, to learn stories. Um, it occurs to me that stories are the currency for dignity. Mm. Stories are the currency for dignity. Yeah. I cannot know everything about you by looking at you. The best way that I can learn about you and to understand where you are coming from is mm -hmm. to hear your story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to engage with you, mm -hmm. to have dialogue, to talk, yeah. to share my story, to hear your story. Yeah. I want to be able to see something more, where you're coming from. Maybe I can learn something new. Maybe I don't have to disagree. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have yeah. to. I don't have to. Right. But at least I can respect that you're a human being. Yeah. I can do that. My daddy used to say, you know, don't judge, you know, everybody, there was an old saying, don't judge a book by the cover. But then he would add, actually add, don't judge a book by its cover. Read the book. Listen to yes. the story. Yes. Uh, then, then that change, you know what? It changes. It does change the reality. Yes. Um, Because I can't objectify you. No. I've got to let you be you. And that's yes. not, you don't become a thing. Um, to borrow from the uh, Rabbi uh, 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 Martin Buber, you don't become an it. You become thou. You yes. become sacred dignity. Yes. That's yes. powerful. Wow. Yes. You're giving us yes. some good stuff. I mean, this is, this is some good stuff. <laughs> I, I, I tell for Oprah would charge you some bit car charge us a big time for this commercial. I mean, oh. <laughs> this is good stuff. It really is. What, yeah. Well, I'm I'm wondering what um, you know, we're we're I, I don't want to say we're coming out of the pandemic. We're coming out of a phase of COVID and the pandemic, um, in one sense, and yet in another, we're still it the the, the virus is still with us. But the consciousness and the impacts of, of that whole experience, um, you know, it was necessary for us to lock down, especially in those early days when there were no, there was no medicine, there was no solution. Um, I mean, there were no vaccines yet and all that stuff. That's changed the landscape a bit. But we were isolated from each other um, yes. in ways we'd never been isolated before. Um, yes. And um, and our children, you know, weren't, I mean, you got five kids and I know they're different ages, but you know, how they went to school, how they interacted socially, as important as social community is for all of us, but especially for children and young people growing in, it's critical. And we're all kind of, I'd I like to say we're all a little bit COVID crazy. You know what I mean? There's, there's a little, we're still trying to figure our way. And you know, I mean, you know, you, you're an adjunct professor of psychiatry at, at I'm just wondering, how can you help us with our mental health, with our spiritual health, with our inner health, navigating through this complex terrain that we're all living in right now? And we're all in yes. it. Yes. It's a great question and, and one that I'm sure everybody's trying to find the answer to. Yeah. We're all trying to find the answer to. Yeah. I, just to give some context, I am an adjunct professor at Emory University's Department of Psychiatry mm -hmm. at the School of Medicine. And I became that, I was invited to do that because of some books that I had written about 
depression and my own story of depression, of clinical Uh depression. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I learned from that experience was one that we we did not want to talk about it. Uh There was Uh a reticence to tell our stories, even those stories. Um, And uh, I will share that um, uh, one morning, uh, I was, this was many years ago, but one morning when I did not know about depression and did not know about mental health, really mm. didn't didn't fully understand it i woke up one morning and all was normal except for one thing and oh. that one thing was that i wanted to die yeah and i kissed my children goodbye i kissed my husband goodbye and i got into a mm. got into my car and was driving to my workplace at the time uh-huh. and all i wanted to do was to swerve the car off the road yeah but then I got to my workplace. I walked in. I was teaching at the time. I was a professor, mm-hmm. college professor. I saw my students. I said, I'm sorry. I can't teach you today. Uh-huh. And I left and checked myself into a hospital. And that hospital saved my life. Yep. But I share that to say that even while I was in the hospital and I met other people who were doctors and lawyers and nurses and pilots mm. who were also there for that reason. Mm-hmm. None of us really wanted to tell the story. Yeah. And I thought, well, boy, we've got to tell this story. Uh-huh. We've got to talk about this. Yeah. And that's when also, you know, stories, the currency for dignity. Yes. So now as we're coming out of this pandemic, we've gone through some trying times, yeah. um, both as individuals, as families, as communities, um, institutions, organizations, all of us, we've all been impacted. Yeah, you have. And we need to be able to reconnect with each other, Mm. to be able to talk about some of the trials that are indeed Uh um, challenging us, our young ones, our little ones. They need to be able to know that they can feel safe and brave to tell their stories, to share how they're feeling, to really to be vulnerable, to share that. And we need also to be kind to one another. Yeah. And to be to yeah. nurture those stories as they come out, mm. because we need to just be able to nurture them. We just need yeah. to be able to. Yeah. And um, and I think there's a lot of work for us to be doing during this mm-hmm. time. I know it's hard to talk about work at a time when we're healing, but that kind of dignity work. Yeah. It is work. Yeah. And we need to be able to to look again at these challenges that we face to see new potential, new possibilities. This is a time of pivoting and creativity and yeah. imagination. How can we heal now? Yeah. This is a time, as we were saying earlier, even before we started the broadcast, to hit the refresh button. Yeah. It's a time to reboot. But part of that is telling and knowing our stories. And as we reboot and refresh, put on those dignity lenses. Ah, there you go. You might be able to see completely new things, new ways of being. And it's okay. It's okay. We have learned so much in this time. We've learned that um, our families are important to us. And in new ways, in new Mm -hmm. ways, we've Mm -hmm. learned that solitude can actually be generative. We've also Mm -hmm. learned that. We've learned that imagination and creativity and innovation 
is possible and is um, helpful and purposeful. And yep. adapting to these new ways of being doesn't mean that we're losing a lot. It means that we're creating new possibilities. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It's okay. It's okay. I was with um, some indigenous leaders of our church some uh, midway through the um, um, pandemic, and we were on Zoom. And at some point, one of the members, um, uh, one of the leaders said that, and, they, and she was referring to um, indigenous folk being the trail of tears, um, of people being moved, forced movement, forced migration, um, and how hard that was. And, you know, people died along the way. And, and, and she said, but one of the things that we've learned is that we have to listen to ourselves and to the ancestors who made it. How did they make it? They cultivated, they learned something about survival and survival is important. You can't thrive if you don't survive. So survival is important. And they said, learning how we did cope, we did make it through, um, gives us some life skills for moving forward together. That's what I yeah. hear you saying. Listen to your yeah. own story. Listen to yeah. the story of others and find out where the strength is because it's there. It is there. It is. Um, Toni Morrison in her book, Beloved, yeah. uh, this haunting, traumatic book telling that story um, yeah. of a woman who, who, who killed her children in order yeah. to, to um, mm. escape slavery. She said, there's a sentence that says, this is not a story to pass on. Yeah. And at first it, it looks like it's saying, this is not a story to pass on to others. Uh -huh. But if you just read it in a new way, if you put on those dignity lenses, you put on, read it in a new yeah. way, this is not a story to pass right. on. You can't, you have to tell the story. Yeah, yeah. You have to tell the story yeah. because there's so much that we can learn from that story and gain from that story. Yeah. So much, so much. It's like the gospel song Mahalia Jackson used to sing, How I Got Over. How I got over. Yeah. Oh, oh, doctor. Dr. Beth Sarah Wright. Dignity. Respect. Yes. You have blessed us in this time and showed us some practical ways to love ourselves, to love each other, and to even love God. Yes. Thank you for that. And I just want folk to know that you're available to speak. Um on occasions um, and in different contexts available to be um, coach, mentor, um, um, what else should I say? Uh, <laughs> a strategic partner. Strategic partner, I like that. Strategic partner. Strategic and partner. All folk have to do is go to your website, bethsarahwright.com, B-E-T-H-S-A-R-A-H-W-R-I-G-H-T.com and yes. click request to speak. And yes. we'll follow up from there. Yes. I also would love to share that um, just in about two weeks, a workbook, I've just completed a workbook that oh. is a practical way for communities to really work on doing this dignity work. Oh. And it's called the Dignity Lens Workbook. 
more and more as I present, people ask, well, how can we do this? I want to be able to do it. I want to talk with it, with my community, with my vestry or with my board. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so that workbook will be out soon too and available on my website. Dr. Wright, you are a gift to us all and you have blessed us all in this time. And I, I, I don't want to make this too time bound, but it's just a week or two before Thanksgiving. Um, and you can celebrate Thanksgiving anytime and give God thanks. You have said something that can help us adopt an attitude of gratitude and grow. Yes. God bless you, you, my friend. Thank you for thank this you. time. Thank you so much. To everybody who's listening, thank you for being with us on The Way of Love and God love you and keep you. Thank you for being with us today and thanks to Dr. Wright for this excellent conversation. Her book, Dignity, Seven Strategies for Creating Authentic Community is available wherever books are sold. And you can find out more about Dr. Wright's work on her website at bethsarahwright.com. And as always, you can learn more about the way of love, including how to create your own personal rule of life at episcopalchurch.org. The Way of Love podcast executive producer is Jeremy Tackett. Our podcast engineer is Ellie Singer. Research and guest relations are managed by Amanda Skofsted. And our project manager is Chris Sigma. I'm Michael Curry, and I'll see you next time on The Way of Love. God love you. Thank you.